Good morning, Ginny. How are you doing today? Morning. I'm doing very well. How are you? Fantastic. Very excited to, to share a conversation with you because you're, you're proving how music continues to evolve. Well, so should the stories about music. And, and you're doing that with icons of rock in their own words. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I feel um, as I was transcribing some of the, some of the interviews uh, that hadn't been opened up before, like Joni Mitchell or George Harrison or Eric um, uh, just while I was writing this book, I just felt so honored to have actually had the chance to interview these guys, even though it was like 35 years ago, because the message is still so important and still exactly the same and very awe-inspiring. Well, I truly believe in that because I because I'm a daily writer and I believe in the theory that dear future reader because it's the same thing with the interviews is that what what you do today will affect somebody 25 35 years from now just like this book is right here. Yeah, but you don't think of it like that. No, then. you know, you're very much like I'm going to get this book done. That was the original book, <clears throat> but um, that was done uh, in chapters, headings, you know, like drugs and alcohol or um peak experience but this is literally you want to look up Keith Richards or or Joni or George or whatever you just go straight to the page that's interesting that you say that because the you know I, I that's the way I read a, a book like this with different author with a different artists and stuff is that I, I'll go in there and and go okay today I'm going to read about this author tomorrow I'm going to read about that yeah. author and and you just make it right. so special it's like a museum piece is what you've presented for readers Exactly. And then you add on to that the few, the four that the new ones that I got just last year. And then you want to see how different is the music world today than it was then. <laughs> and you see it's very different. Oh, the creative process, the way it's done is different. But, you know, uh, we'd say with Jacob Collier, you really can get into the zone. But it's, um, I think, probably more difficult these days. I don't think it's so... Um, because there's so many more people involved in just writing one song. Yeah, it's so interesting that you bring that up because it is done differently because a lot of these musicians are doing their guitar riffs or they're doing their vocals in their home studios and then the engineer takes it and then glues it all together. It's like, where is that connection? I want, I want to feel that right. they would look at each other in the eyes, I mean, you know, to be there in that moment. Yeah, yeah, connection that you've actually hit it, hit it on the head, yeah. Where is that? Sometimes I don't feel feel like I'm feeling it though. I mean, even even as a listener, I feel like mm. it's like okay, this is a good song, but what I, I I didn't I didn't feel that something. No, but at the back of their mind, they know if they want to get onto Spotify, they've got to have within twenty seconds or whatever it yeah. is a certain piece, or you know, got to grab the listener, otherwise you're off. <laughs> I love the way that you open up the book with In Loving Memory of Christine McVie. Oh, yes. my God. What yes. the, the, I, I had to read it three times because it was so tough for me to get through it the first time. Oh, so you get me started. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Icons of Rock, yeah. in their own words, is the name of the book. When an artist chooses, and I, I always do believe it's a choice, when an artist chooses to share their, their journey with creating music, what is that like for you to be in that moment? Because you're capturing something that someone else is going to pick up on. It's, it's almost like it's going to be transferred through you to get to us. Yes. It, um, so when I'm interviewing them, you mean? Just, yeah. Um, and when they're really opening up, 
It's fantastic. You just will use the word connection. It's total connection. Because I'm listening and they're they're describing and feeling it. You can tell they're feeling it as they're saying it. And it becomes a, a really strong connection. And so I think one feels that when you're reading what they're saying. My, my wife Kim comes from the world of music, and so she she has told me time and time again. She says we would all meet in the backyard, and she would go. It doesn't matter what how famous they are or where their fame is going. We were all just friends. It's it's like a family reunion. Yeah. Did you feel that too? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, when we were much younger, and we'd uh, when uh, Patty was with George and I was with Mick, and uh, you know we'd all go to clubs together with the rest of the Beatles, and then you'd see Keith Moon. Or you'd see Brian Jones or, you know, everybody was just like hanging. And no, there was no kind of sense of, oh, can I have your autograph? <laughs> right. Or anything like that. You know, it was just hanging together because you, you represented your generation. That's what you thought of yourselves, you know. We were the cool ones kind of thing. Not like, you know, I don't know. It's because we're all the same age feeling about it. And I'm sure, and I'm sure teenagers or, or whatever have that today, you know, where they have that connection because they are the gen, their generation with their generation. When you return to the origin of this book, you, you were now the reader because it was so far away from you from the physical, uh, you know, first book. But now as the reader, what, what did you go through and, did, and, and, and feel in that moment? Because there are times I'll go back 25 years into my daily writing and go, oh, my God, what the hell, dude? Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, because it depends where that's come from. And if it's come from that place that you are almost like the channel and you're almost like channeling stuff, um, then it is. It'll be uh, timeless and will always be moving. So when I was uh, transcribing, say, the Journey Mitchell or the George or Eric, you know, the ones that I was, the eight that I'd um, rescued, um, I felt exactly that feeling of I could have been back 35 years ago. And in what they're saying is so deep. Were there things that you missed 35 years ago that, that this time around you go, well, how, how is that even possible that I missed that? Well, I don't know, because when I when I did it 35 years ago, um, I was picking out just bits because that would be going well with the heading of that chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I probably wouldn't be concentrating on all of it, except, of course, anything to do with the peak experience. That's my most favorite bit. But then the drive, what they said about the drive, but I would still take out little bits. Whereas this one, it was full on, whether it was, you know, Don Henley or George or whatever, just full on. And so, yeah, it was like hearing it again from from the store. For listeners that didn't read the book the first time around, what is the peak experience? Okay, because it was a PhD dissertation and it was on psychology, I was doing research on creativity. So one of the people I read about was this um, psychologist called Abraham Maslow, and he described the peak experience. And he called it when you become into this zone that is timeless, Mm And um, it's also you become more of who you are. And it's like being what we call it going into the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he said, the artists are more likely to have the peak experience because of the very nature of being an artist, where it's almost like things will come from nowhere. 
like words will just come from nowhere you know there's something quite sort of magical about it and where the artist can feel like a channel they're channeling something mm -hmm. um you know some of it obviously is busy work and some of it you get like inspiration comes from that you know you'll just get like a line and then you go from there or if you're in your half sleep you're about to wake up but not quite and then people you know will just get a line or a riff or something that they have to immediately write down or they'll lose it you know it'll just go and one person said i lost something because i didn't write it down but then i heard somebody else must have picked it up you know sometime later as if you know it's all around and it depends what you're channeling Wow. See, this is every bit the reason why I created the iHeartRadio channel, which is called Creativity is the Addiction, because this peak experience you're speaking of, it becomes an addiction because you want to keep going back to it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get to it? Because, I mean, I use the power of stream thinking in order to get into a peak experience. Ah, see, because I, I love to write. Yes. And I love, and I, for, you know, I used to write lots of poems. And I'd have a sort of, obviously not on the same level as those guys, but, uh, you know, I'd have this thing where suddenly I'd look at it and I'd think just exactly what you just said. Wow, did I write that? <laughs> you know, like it's just come through you. And so that's why, um, and I feel I used to do it a lot. I didn't do it so much now. I think I've been quite busy with uh, this book and stuff. But, you know, if I just do like just writing, write, 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 doesn't matter what you write, just keep writing, yep, uh, you know, yep. the dog is brown and just keep going. And you'll find what I find is that if I was actually a bit concerned about something and start writing about it, it would almost turn into turn it around where it tells me the best thing to do. It's almost like I feel this, I feel that. And then it turns and I never see where it turns to you need to do this and this and this. You know, it's kind of almost like getting in touch with your higher power or whatever mm -hmm. one wants to call it or your higher self or your unconscious you know it's the same thing mm -hmm. and i think because uh just to kind of come off this subject a little tiny bit is that i wanted peter green in there and unfortunately we know you know peter died and um but what i so what i did was because i knew peter from when he was young and mm -hmm. the early Fleetwood mac days and everything that um there's a guy I know who's been writing his biography for a long time for many years and he's interviewed me he's interviewed other people I know who knew Peter and um, so I contacted him and said I have these questions through your contacts with Peter were these questions ever answered Ooh. and he said yes and so they I got that in the book you know I, I you know say they came from this uh, Christopher his name is and um, and they and he then Peter answers those questions that I gave to Christopher so that I could have Peter in the book. It felt very important to me mm -hmm. that he, one of the most creative people, you know, I have knew, um, was in that book, was represented. Oh, Jenny, I, I've always believed that musicians that, that have passed or transitioned are still walking with each and every one of us. I mean, I really felt like Sinead O'Connor was right there with you when you chose to put her story. Because we know of the song that Sinead O'Connor did, but we don't know yep. the stories of Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, right. And she then obviously felt friends, you know, she'd found a friend in me, and she would come to our house in, in when we were living in L.A., in Malibu. And she'd come and with her little son then and her friend. And uh, they borrowed one of my daughter's teddy bears mm -hmm. for a bit and then come back again. So I got this feeling that 
she almost as if I was like a mother figure or there was something that she felt connected after our interview. In this day and age, with everything that you've experienced with your connection with, with different uh, musicians, singers, songwriters, performers, do you think that in this day of disconnection, we could ever have another summer of love? I don't know, because if you think of it, the summer of love was innocence, wasn't it? I it always was. think of it, that's the main word. It was innocence. We were just starting things were all happening that was new, and then we would be on our spiritual search, and when everyone's searching together, and then suddenly you hear the song from the Beatles saying, all you need is love. Mm. Oh, that's all right. We don't need to be searching and searching. All we need is love. You know, it's like mus musicians were the spokespeople of our time. Yeah, yeah. You, you speak of the Beatles uh, and all you need is love. The, you know, what's so interesting about it is that you, you write about when they went to India where the world was introduced to a new form of spiritual growth. Yeah. Powerful. Very yeah. powerful. Powerful. Yeah, it was an extraordinary time. I mean, it really was. It was just uh, we were all morphing together. There was that talk about connection. That was a big sense of connection. Did, did it change your view of what an artist is? Because, I mean, if, if Andy Warhol were sitting in front of you, I have this feeling that you would probably start talking about, so, Andy, what's in your refrigerator? You would have a real honest-to-God conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't think I'd want to know what was in his refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, there's, there's a quote in, in, in your book that I'm, I, I'm really going to have to uh, take plant inside my heart and, and take it with me from now on. And the quote comes from Don Henley, where he says that songs keep us company. They help us Amazing. feel less alone. Oh, my exactly. God. Exactly. Well, hang on. There's another quote from Tony Williams, the drummer. There is a wonderful line when jazz drummer Tony Williams points out the difference between creativity and talent and that other thing that's beyond creativity, the spirit that touches people. I felt that every one of these musicians had the spirit that touches people. Wow. <laughs> See, that, that's nice. something that also, uh, you know, because, I mean, it, we, we meet so many people who say they've got the talent, but now I can look at them and say, yeah, but do you have the creativity? Do you have the power yeah. to reach out and, 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 you know, and influence other and people? touch someone. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can have these amazing, I think Phil Collins talks, Collins talks about this, about these incredible guitarists and they're so fast and so this but they don't have that thing that touches people. Did you record this on cassette tape, or did you get, did you get physical recordings of your, of your conversations? I'm afraid I did. Man, those things have got... To, I mean, will we ever get to hear them? No, I have to tell you the very sad story. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what happened? Because they're all, you know, cassettes. Cassettes. Yep. Cassette tapes are big. And, I, and when I was in, living in L.A., it's fine. I had them in the bank vault because um, I was so protective of them. And then I moved to England, and I had to pack them all, all 75 of them. And then, you know, places where I'd stay, I'd have to, like, drag them around with yep. me because I was so frightened of anything. And finally, I thought, I can't do this anymore, you know. I do. Why would I want this? Because uh, And I couldn't uh, get them all put into MP3 because I couldn't trust anybody. Yep. You know, they could suddenly be all around, around the place. So I destroyed them. Wow. I tore up the tapes. I know. Uh, except for the Joni Mitchell, George Harrison, Eric um, Ringo, 
um, Don Henley, Tony Williams, Joni Mitchell, Ravi Shankar, and Graham Nash. So thank God I just kept those. And then I came across somebody who, who became a friend, and he was able to then put them into MP3. But they'd been locked in a drawer, mm-hmm. you know, all this time. So now they've come out. So I know it's a horrific thing to admit, and I feel really bad about admitting it, but who knew that it was ever going to be come out again? Or I don't know. But at least I have the eight, and they become more precious. But see, you know, but the, what, I'll, I'll tell you what I love about your story on that is the fact that you, you got it all documented in word. So that means the relationship between you and someone else's eyes, they get their own interpretation. They're not listening to the power of, you know, of inflection or pitch, volume, and tone, but they get to see and feel by way of your paragraphs. Well, that's true, except you don't get the whole interview written down right because for the original book it was just under the chapters you know whether you're just talking something about childhood um so now you know i just took out the ones that i didn't have the tape i didn't have i just took it out of the book but put them all together so you have keith richards everything about keith richards that was in the original book but not the whole whole interview wow Interviewing yeah. Mick Fleetwood first. I mean, it's, I mean, and then he becomes your husband. <laughs> it's like, what happened? I mean, it's like, what did did you feel something during that interview? No, Mick and I had been together since we were about sixteen or seventeen. Wow. We knew known each other, knew his parents. They were more like my parents than my parents. You know, we were like we've basically, and we still are like sort of brother and sister in a way because we've known each other the longest. Wow, and, and and I like the way that you describe how he just he just had to become a drummer, and and the, and because I read his yes. autobiography, but he didn't put it in the way that you did it, where I understood that language of I don't know why this is taking over my life, but I've got to do something with it. I've got to become yeah. this. That's it, and there was no question about it. So he left school at fifteen. Yeah, his parents didn't know what to do with him, but he <laughs> just knew. Uh, incredible. What is the next level of this? Because you know darn good and well that we are all starving for more uh, content and information about these musicians because every generation right now calls every, from the music from the 50s all the way up to the present, their music. It's not, it's not like a generational thing anymore. Right. Everybody calls this right. their music. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of right now, I mean, obviously there's still quite a lot of promotional stuff. When I go to L.A. in July, I'll go to some of the bookshops and, you know, do a little sign meet and greet thing but um i think i'm thinking when this becomes paperback i actually want to add some more (laughs) although they won't be from that era but they will be more modern ones uh, or anything to do with creativity i'm just sort of mad about creativity Mm -hmm. and um and musicians or people talking about creativity and the magic of it you're speaking my street when you say creativity, because one of the things that I try to get across to people is that because I am so addicted to creativity that, you know, you have so many voices consistently going through your head. How do you deal with that? Because you do you listen to them one at a time or do you have to sit there and say, look, I've got 15 different journals here. You're all going to get your own voice. Well, depending, um, you mean, if, if you if you if you interview somebody else, you mean? It, well, how about interviewing yourself? No, that's a <laughs> <laughs> Ah, well, I don't know, because, you know, it's the same thing. There's a part of me that's, well, actually, I was just going to say, part of me that's very destructive, but then if you think of it, 
that's part of the creative mm-hmm. process anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I have books and books and books of me of my writing, 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 things I'm going through, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll burn them. What? And um and I don't know, and some I don't and but yeah, I don't know. I don't know, though, but it's not going to stop. I, there's, you know, and I'm really, I've just recently been reading and still am reading because it's a big book, uh, Rick Rubin's book on creativity. Yes, yes. What a, what a mean, masterpiece really? there. Yeah, it really is. Oh, my God, Jenny, you've got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Except next time, let's just talk about creativity. Let's just dive into it and just bring our personal experiences together and just sit here and just have a creativity talk. Sounds wonderful. Right up my street. (laughs) (laughs) Will you be brilliant today, okay? Thank you.